0: all right so i had a false start i'm pretty sure this is good now i did just do a little trial run i'll tell you what happened in just a moment uh g'day burton i can see you joining mate uh let me know (laughs) does this sound okay does it sound terrible the the problem is i mean think about what it's like for all of us the number of things that you have plugged into your pc and then i've got two digital Log? digital to analog it's early digital to analog converters and for some reason the the one that the mic is plugged into the levels were just really really peaky so when i played back the video from just before i think that's what was happening so should be okay now uh we've got a yay to, oh it's lars g'day <laughs> oh it's richard too cheers mate yeah no nah, the aussie accent i can't do much about that all right, uh yeah, Burton, it should be what should it be? It should be two fifty six don't worry about that let's just can I change that on the fly? What could go wrong? Yeah, let's just change on the fly two fifty six save I'm sure that's fine all right now we're two fifty six okay, cool. let me move on so as I was saying before, when I was really peaky and it's in a video since deleted, uh it is extra bright in here because of office improvements so i've gone through and uh deleted the curtains new curtains are coming in a very very uh very non-acoustically sound they weren't even curtains on blinds so they weren't very uh, very absorbent so new ones of those coming in new carpet went in yesterday that's why everything was unplugged because i had to take all of my carefully cabled stuff unplug it all move the desk carpet half the room push back repeat etc so when everything came back it eventually seems to be okay now and I still got noise <laughs> from the other laptop too. So let me uh, let me do the sponsor thing quickly because then I've got a heap of stuff on this week's list, uh, and most of it is really controversial too, which I think is actually going to be really good fun. So sponsor this week is Veronis Reduce Your SaaS Blast Radius. Every time I say blast radius, it just sounds cool. SaaS blast radius with data-centric security for AWS. Due to our box sales for Slack and more. So big thanks to Veronis for sponsoring again this week. A very, very long-term sponsor. I think Veronis must be my most frequent sponsor by some margin as well. So thank you very much to those folks. I hope uh, hope we can do some more stuff together this year. Probably not in person, particularly the way it's going in Australia at the moment. I won't get into that this week because I delved into a bunch of corona-related stuff last week. Thanks for uh, everyone who is joining in as well. All of this sounds good. Turns out my audio is okay, which is nice. Let's uh, let's jump straight into all the controversial stuff. <laughs> so, I did not expect to be. What's the right term? Uh, the the more. I'm trying not to, try to upset people i think most people disagreed with me on this one but let me get through it (laughs) we'll just we'll just sort of jump into it and see where it goes apple and child sexual abuse material which is on, on the surface of it not a very fun topic but an important topic so this week i shared some some content uh about what apple is doing in next gen ios now um Let's talk through sort of the the, the technical nature of this and the problem they're trying to solve and then my position on it and then why people got upset. I know, people got upset on the internet. It's amazing. So there's a a story that I linked to here, which is uh, from Ars Technica. Apple explains how iPhones will scan photos for child sexual abuse images. Now, I think there's a very sort of multifaceted discussion, and there's a bunch of stuff about security, a bunch of stuff about privacy and rights and law enforcement, and what about China? (laughs) Let's try and unpack it all in in no particular order. And I think the easiest place to start is sort of the technical side of it. So basically, what what Apple is doing is saying that there are uh, signatures of known... Uh, we'll just call it CSAM for the sake of simplicity. There are signatures of known CSAM images and when we talk about signatures we're largely talking about hashes. So if you imagine you've got a photo of something uh, that photo has a hash representation which would allow you should the same photo be seen somewhere else to generate a hash representation and compare the two. Now you can have a great big database of all the hash representations without actually having all the nasty images. And then if a nasty image appears somewhere and you're able to reapply that same hash process and then compare the two, you can go, that image is almost certainly one of the ones which is a known bad image. Now, we say almost certainly because we could have, say, hash collisions. We could have multiple different images that create the same hashes. Now, Apple believes that their ability to do this gives them a one in one trillion false positive rate. Pretty good odds. I mean, if you had a one in one trillion chance of winning the lottery, would you? Well, some people probably would play because your odds are practically zero anyway. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like one in one trillion. That seems reasonable. I don't think uh, anyone's going to say, "Well, I'm really, really worried that this is likely going to lead to all these false positives." Now. <laughs> That, I guess, is the first bit. I I like the idea of Apple saying we are going to be able to look at photos and see if they match known bad ones without actually looking at the photos themselves. Where it gets really, really curly is in order to do this, what, what Apple is saying, and I only know what I read as well. I've only gone through news articles. I haven't gone through any sort of deep papers or anything on this. But what appears to be happening is they're saying, when you have photos on your device and they are synced to iCloud, on the iCloud side, they are able to then create those hashes and compare to the known bad ones. And this is where people start to get very worried privacy wise because we've got a situation here where Apple is saying we're going to, in some form, look at your photos. Now, of course, this is not like an oompa sitting there like looking at all your personal photos, right? This is literally software going through creating hashes, but the fact remains that they need access to your photos. I think one of the things that sort of surprised me a little bit is that people are surprised that if you put your photos on iCloud, then the provider of iCloud <laughs> might have access to, to the photos. So, you know, there's that aspect of it too. The A lot of the, the concern from people comes from, you know, Number one, that, that side of thing, but again, it's like this is literally the way it works. You're syncing this stuff backwards and forwards through their cloud. There's no expectation of end-to-end encryption on this either. This is not like a WhatsApp or, a, or an iMessage communication. You know, it is going into the cloud in a way that is retrievable. A lot of the concern I've heard is people have said, it's a slippery slope. You heard slippery slope the whole time. So it's a slippery slope because what's gonna happen is they're going to start with CSAM images, and then it's going to be something else. Or what if, what if a government that we don't agree with, and I assume when they say we, it's going to be people more from Western Hemisphere. A government we don't agree with compels Apple to use it to find something else. Because there are governments in the world that do things that we don't like from our part of the world. Slippery slope. Now there are, I just think there's multiple, multiple layers of problems with this. One of the layers of the problems is this, the slippery slope argument is always predicated on saying here is what a piece of technology does. It does this. It could be used to do something totally different in the future because it might do something totally different later on. We shouldn't use it to do this one thing now. And I kind of lost patience with some of the tweets and I sort of went back and went if you're saying that later on if this thing does something totally different to what it does and that totally different thing might not be good then yes I agree but it doesn't do that totally different thing it does this other one thing and the the, the problem that we, we kind of have here and this will come up later on when I talk about the air tags as well is the moral neutrality of the technology where the ability to do things like look for known bad images can be used for what we would classify as good, and I think most of us would classify identifying CSAM as good. It could also be used for what we might classify as bad, and this is where it gets really, really interesting. Just by pure coincidence, I was listening to something on the the radio this morning, it was an interview with an ethicist, and the way they describe these particularly different cultural views of, of ethics is really, really interesting. So one of the examples that comes up is in Russia, Apple removed the gay pride watch face. Now, is is that an abuse of the power they have and that they control the watch faces you have? Uh, I would argue, and I think most people listening to this probably argue that you should be able to have whatever bloody watch face you want. Mm-hmm. But Russia takes a very, very different view of things. And the problem you then end up with is... If you want to do business in a country like Russia, if Apple wants to do business in a country like Russia, and particularly if Apple wants to do business in a country like China, they do need to adhere to the local laws as well. So now you end up in a situation going, we in Australia, the UK, the US, where most of us are, Western Europe, think that there should be equal rights for everybody and you should be able to have whatever watch face you want. That is our view. There is a different part of the world where the government takes a different view now what should apple do do they go no screw you we're going to keep the gay pride watch face and then potentially be booted out of the market or have some other sort of penalty and then particularly when you get to china when it comes to government oversight what does apple do there do they they kill the world's largest economy second largest economy depending on how you measure it kill their market share there or do they hear the local laws and even then the whole ...morality discussion is very subjective in different parts of the world. So anyway, I don't think I can answer that. I think that would be a good one for the ethicist I was listening to it this morning... ...as to whether or not Apple should have the ability to do that... ...or Microsoft or Google or Amazon or any of the big ones. But the, the point we're making here is that there there is a difference... ...between abuse of the power independently as a technology organisation and adhering to local laws in order to actually do business in the place and inevitably there are some parts of the world where technology companies just go no we're not going to adhere to local laws the main one that comes to mind is Mozilla saying no we're not going to install Kazakhstan's root certificate uh, in our browsers and allow everybody to be effectively intercepted for all their traffic by the Kazakhstani government that doesn't sound very cool don't know how lucrative the Kazakhstani market is. So that might be a case where they can take an ethical stance without the financial burden that would happen if they did that in somewhere like China. So there's that. Now, the the other thing, if we just get back to the parts of the world that are more familiar to most of us as well, is that all of these tech companies are increasingly facing pressure to do more to crack down on illegal activity on their platforms. Now, terrorism is always the big one, right? Where people say, let's say US senators, <laughs> US senators say, we shouldn't have a situation where terrorists or pedophiles can communicate with each other using end-to-end encryption. Technology companies need to do something about this. And the headline then normally turns into backdoors and encryption. And as soon as I talk about that, then everyone talks about the clipper chip. If you don't know what that is, Google it and you get the background. And this is a really difficult problem where we again come back to the moral neutrality of technology. So I can have an end-to-end encrypted chat with Charlotte about what we're having for dinner. And I have the same privacy as someone having an end-to-end encrypted chat as let's say a journalist reporting on some human rights violation or a pedophile sharing imagery. And this is the problem. Everybody gets privacy. And because of the moral neutrality of encryption, we all get that same right to privacy. But the problem is, is that it does actually make it very hard on law enforcement. So think about what it used to be like back in the day. Now, having never been in law enforcement, I'm speculating here, but I've watched a lot of James Bond. So someone can sit there on a telephone line and listen to communications backwards and forwards. Uh, There is legal process for that. It's different in different parts of the world. But it can be done as part of law enforcement efforts. Now you have a situation where it's easier than ever to have end-to-end encrypted chats. And regardless of whether or not you agree on there should be backdoors or not, and I do not think there should be in any way, shape, and form, but we'll come back to that in a moment, regardless of how you view that, you can't argue against the fact that it does make it very hard for law enforcement to do their work. And a lot of that work is to our benefit. Most of that work is to our benefit. That's kind of the point of it. It's like, I like not being blown up. Like that is a very, very important part of my daily life. So what role does a tech company have? And, And the pressure they're getting from government, and they're getting this a lot from all the governments. I mean, we've certainly been headline news here in Australia. We've seen senators like Lindsey Graham in the US as well being very, very vocal about this. The pressure they're getting is come up with a solution. Now, this looks like part of their solution. The solution being is that it doesn't break encryption, it doesn't backdoor, there's no master key. They're literally saying we're going to identify CSAM imagery when it sits there on a server and it matches what we know is CSAM imagery without having to actually look at the images themselves. So keep in mind that part of this is trying to satisfy that concern from lawmakers about how do we crack down on things like pedophilia. My fear is that if if the likes of Apple, and I keep saying the likes because obviously it's not just them. I mean, (laughs) what do we got? Apple and Google, big players with mobile devices, obviously Microsoft as well. And then we've got Amazon with all of, well, Amazon's up and everything these days. If the tech companies can't provide solutions to this or at least partial solutions to this, that the risk we run is being regulated in ways which really are detrimental to all of us, being regulated in ways where maybe the privacy controls we have so that when we're talking about the shopping, no longer exist. So this seems like a reasonable step towards satisfying regulatory requirements in a way that also preserves privacy. Let me read the comments. <laughs> Richard, technology is neither good nor bad, nor is it neutral. Malvin, well, where does that leave it? What's left? Um, what else is in here? Hizmica says, it's confusing. It involves iCloud, but then Apple Statement says, instead of scanning images in the cloud, the system performs on-device matching a database of nine CSAM hashes. Now, th- there is another nuance to this. <clears throat> and again, I've only read what I see in the news here. There also appears to be another piece, which is also... Let's see if they actually use the word parental in this ARS article. Um, here you go. Changes roll out later this year uh, to iOS 15, which I believe should be next month, actually. Uh, watchOS, macOS. Apple will also deploy software that can analyze images in the messages application for a new system that will, quote, warn children and their parents when receiving or sending sexually explicit photos. Now, here's my reading of this. And someone tell me if I've got this wrong or if i have seen more, more detail on it. These seem to be two parallel things, which for the most part are unrelated. The CSAM stuff is looking at known hashes of exploitative material for something that is outright atrocious and illegal absolutely everywhere. And we want those bastards caught. We're just trying to do it in a way that doesn't destroy the privacy of everybody else. There is this other bit when we talk about children and parents and sexually explicit material, there's plenty of sexually explicit material out there, which is perfectly legal. Okay. A lot of it isn't as well, or is a bit borderline, particularly when we're talking about kids sharing images, but let's say for the sake of argument, it is legal pornography. But what we're talking about now is parental controls. So should children be able to share this information backwards and forwards without any oversight from parents? Now, Apple actually has some really, really good parental controls. So both my kids have hand-me-down devices which sit under my account. And my parental controls mean that they can't go and buy apps on the store without my approval. Uh, they have screen time limits, so they can't just sit there all day and play on their iPhones, Um, all sorts of other parental oversight things. There is the ability, it's not one that I use, but there is the ability to control their contacts list and who they can chat to. I think the idea of being able to say, hey, little Johnny is sharing material which appears to be sexually explicit is not a bad thing. So long as there's then the ability for me as a parent to make a, a ruling decision on whether or not it was, and maybe little Johnny and I got to have a chat about what he's doing. I like that idea. I, I think, again, that the challenge here is possibly false positives, but if it's literally just false positives between you, let's say it's, you know, they were down at the beach or something and taking a photo of their mates doing backflips, I don't know, whatever. And that gets flagged as a false positive, but you as a parent, yeah, you get an alert and you go, okay, well, all right, that's not actually... A bad thing that's fine you can keep doing your backflips but i think there's a very very different piece of the puzzle and particularly because this does appear to happen on device not in cloud it's just a parental notification that seems to be a completely different thing to the csam thing it's just reported here in the same article i did have someone make a comment along the lines of this is invasive to the child's privacy it's like, yeah, well, well, that's what you do as a parent. You invade the child's privacy. This is, this is literally why we have all of this like, expert guidance about uh, don't let your children, particularly younger children, use devices unsupervised. Have them in a public place. Make sure you can see what they're doing. Make sure they know that you can see all of their messages, which is precisely what I tell all my kids. All my kids all two of them. So all of this is really, really, I think, a normal part of parenting and not to be confused with the CSAM stuff. All right, what else is in here? Uh, Burton? do you think Windows will implement the same as Apple on those lucrative Windows phones, perhaps? Uh, (laughs) On the other devices, such as on a Windows PC? It's a good question. Um, Bits and pieces. I mean, I can see at the moment, so the kids also have uh, Windows PCs. They are part of my family account. I can see via the parental controls which websites they're going to. Uh, so, so that bit exists. As for the CSAM bit, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. Maybe that will depend on how all this pans out with Apple. And to, just to be clear as well, there's one other nuance in here. Now, this is the bit that I'm literally going on hearsay with. But my understanding is that the database of hashes of CSAM material isn't a US government database. Apparently, there are NGOs. Or an NGO, I'm not sure which one it is, that maintains this list, and they do the world of service by having these hashes that are available for people. So this doesn't seem to be something where, at someone's discretion, they can start saying, let's say, for argument's sake, we are going to add images of Tiananmen Square into this particular database. That doesn't seem to be that sort of case. So I know that's what people are concerned about. Again, local laws, whole other discussion here. In fact, the Tiananmen Square is a good example. So try, okay. Probably none of us are going to China anytime soon, but try even looking at some of the news articles about what do you see if you do a Google search for Tiananmen Square from Hong Kong versus from just about anywhere else in the world. You see something totally different. That's not accidental. That is Google obviously tailoring results uh, based on instruction from Chinese government. So a good example of where governments are instructing tech companies to adhere to their local laws, whether we like them or not. Big Pod says, problem I see is that in theory, Apple or Google, whoever, could police their users according to companies' views of right and wrong. hmm Yes, this is possible. Now, there is, there's another interesting angle to this as well, where I saw people saying, you really have to trust Apple. You have to trust them not to abuse this. I'm okay. going, you've got an iPhone, right? The iPhone has your location, your movement. It knows the websites you go to. It knows what you're saying. It has your photos. It has so much personal. Inf- I mean, imagine if you had access to everything on someone's iPhone. You already put a huge amount of trust <coughs> excuse me, into Apple. And if you don't trust them to have all those things, you should go and use, I don't know, what? Like, do you then have to trust Google (laughs) to do all those things correctly with Android? So the, the, the premise that somehow this requires a new level of trust in a provider that already has extremely privileged access to your most personal things in your life, it just doesn't kind of pass the bullshit test. Not for me anyway. BigPod says, "I'm really, so, really sad for those kids. For me, my device accounts were always private, noise under my personal password code. Nobody in my family knew. Well, I, I got to be a child and then become an adult before the internet and before mobile devices. But and okay, this is going to be a very, a very personal thing that's different for different people. But my view of it is that, let's say, my daughter, she's nine years old. She is not." mature enough to be able to have privacy insofar as do whatever she wants on the internet and i don't get to see it have whatever conversation she wants with her friends and i don't get to see it that is just not an age where that should be happening and there are reams and reams of material to that effect i do not believe in that at all the the premise that somehow uh children should have complete privacy from parents particularly at that age is it just does not fly Uh, and i I think most people with kids would probably have the same sort of view now i hear some people say well when the kids are old enough to decide for themselves they should be able to decide and the parents shouldn't be dictating these things parents would dictate all sorts of things we dictate what school you go to Uh, we dictate when you can go and have a sleepover with a friend I certainly dictate what they eat. Imagine if my kids could just decide to eat whatever they want to eat. <laughs> you know, with your kids, it would be like ice cream and chocolate and they'd be obese. So no, parents have a huge amount of responsibility and they get to make a lot of the choices. And particularly choices around how people, how children engage with other kids is really important. My kids are going to see porn. I've got no doubt about that. But I really want to keep control on that, particularly at their ages. They're 9 and 11 at the moment. You know, they're at an age where they do not understand the social impacts of all of that. Uh, So I want to be part of that. And we get that reinforced a lot from the schools as well. Schools are very, very clear. Uh, Kids shouldn't have social media accounts until they're, I think they're pretty much aligned with copper here around the 13 years of age. Uh, They shouldn't be left unattended on mobile devices, all the rest of it. Uh, Mike says, Internet Watch Foundation. So is that the foundation that does the CSAM stuff? That uh, sounds feasible. Um, question here. Are those hashes resilient to recompression and or minor edits? So there, there's uh, the, the answer is I'm not sure. Uh, one would imagine that there would be some level of editing of images which would change the hashes and no longer match. And one of the... One of the arguments I've heard against this technology is people have said, well, one of the things I hear a lot, they said, well, it will just force it underground. People go underground. Well, good, <laughs> that's, that's what we want. It's the same argument about if you remove this neo-Nazi website from the clear web, they'll just go underground. Great, it's gonna be harder to find. This is what we want. We want the stuff to be harder to find. We want the barrier to entry to be higher. Now, if the barrier to entry means that you can't just exchange these photos anymore, not in their raw format without a high likelihood of being caught, and you have to go through extra processes to modify them and obfuscate them, then good. This doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to make it a lot harder and to make people much more likely to be caught if they do it. And not just that, but make them fearful that they're going to be a lot more likely to be caught if they do it. Trent says, uh, Trent Apple, there you go. Trent Apple's e services is beneficial, but you have to trust them to take advantage of it. We just kind of made the point about trust. Mitch says, safe to say, everyone is already gathering everything they can from the phones that, that they can. I, I think where the, the battle lines, as, as they say, seem to be getting drawn is Apple is consistently taking a very privacy-centric stance, which is sometimes been a very subtle dig at Google, sometimes been a lot more overt dig at Google. Obviously, Google has a huge amount of revenue from profiling people and being able to target content at them, whereas Apple has a huge amount of revenue from selling physical devices and buying you into the Apple ecosystem. So I do feel that Apple is in a position to take a more privacy-centric stance. Richard says, is your photo storage already has serious restrictions on certain files like CSAM? That comes back to the question before about will Microsoft do something similar? uh steven (laughs) time to update santa claus is coming to town google apple knows when you're sleeping pretty much Um, questions here about how old you should be i think we kind of covered that let's let's move on to the other controversial apple topic this one i I think is really fascinating and i I wondered when these two worlds were going to collide because there are two things this week about Apple AirTags one was very against it one was very for it and I read the one that was very against it and I was like oh, I can see where you're coming from however and I'll come back to what that is in a moment and then I read the one that was very for it and I was like this is really cool and I shared it and next minute someone's sharing the one that's very against it so let's talk about the one that's very for it so this is a this is a thread from Dan Guido. And Dan Guido is a fairly, uh, fairly notable uh, identity in the security industry. And basically, it, it starts with like this. He says, my scooter was stolen last week. Unknown to the thief, I hid two air tags inside it. I was able to use the Apple Find My Network and UWB Direction Finding to recover the scooter today. Here's how it all went down. Anyway, Dan does a pretty cool thread here because he's got lots of photos of the scooter and outside his apartment where it was stolen from. And the long and short of it is that he secreted two air tags in his scooter. Someone stole his scooter and he was able to track it down. And he sort of explains why he has two there and why he hid one a bit more uh, discreetly than the other one. And uh, then also talks about the fact that they <laughs> end up turning up at this place where it's it's obviously a shop that's just selling stolen goods uh, and these people trying to talk themselves out of it. He gets the cops involved as well. So it, I guess it was sort of a, a, a happy story. And in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to drop the the Twitter thread here into the chat window for those interested. Um, I, I liked this because I think we all like the idea of screwing crooks. You know, like regardless of what you have perspective is on privacy and all the rest of it screwing crooks great love it this was a really really good use case now i'm just going to read the other one i'll read the start of the other one because it will it will give you the the two sort of sides of the story i'm going to drop this thread into the uh, chat window as well so this is from a lady who says uh I, i think her name meadow alice is her twitter handle not not a meadow is her twitter handle meadow alice her name Apple's AirTags is the worst idea ever. Exactly the kind of, I'd expect from a young, inexperienced team from an SV startup. Now you, a random human, need to download an app on your Android phone to see if someone slipped one into your bag in a pub last night. Now she she does have a very good point here, which is the ability to stalk. And her concern here is because Apple AirTags are small, so they're sort of the size of a coin, and because by design they track where they go. If a stalker was to slip one onto your being at somewhere like a nightclub and then you go home, then they could see where you go. And that is a really worrying thing. And we're back to moral neutrality. <laughs> so remember that the sort of that the macro premise here, the macro premise is to have a device which is small and discreet and can be found again even when it leaves your field of vision or your field of rf or whatever else it is could be anywhere in the world you can see where it is which is great if you lose your luggage or in dan's case your scooter so that the problem with the moral neutrality is that this can obviously be abused now this is not the first time this concern has been raised with air tags and also air tags are not the first thing we've had we've had tiles for ages anyone got a tile tiles are like I don't have an air tag yet, but I imagine they're like a crappier tag <laughs> for various reasons. But I used Tiles for years, particularly when I used to travel, and they'd be little tags you could put on your keyring, you could put in your luggage, and anyone running the Tile app would become a beacon so that when that Tile moved around the world, anyone running the Tile app, and I assume that there are a very large number of people using it because I could track my luggage around the world, the little tile would beak into that person and or whoever's running the, the app and you could see where your tile is in the world. So this is not new. We've had this for ages. What Apple has done to mitigate this, and, and this is where I feel it's a little bit like the CSAM discussion where they're like, morally neutral, has a lot of upside, we need to mitigate the risk of abuse. The risk of abuse is it seems that if an AirTag is near an Apple device for a period of between and they don't say exactly. It seems to be like between 8 and 24 hours, and it's following it. So, for example, if someone does slip one into your pocket, and your Apple device sees it, your Apple device will warn you, and I believe the air tag actually makes a noise as well. Now, of course, this is a double-edged sword, right? Because imagine Stan's Dan's scooter, and the thing starts beeping. It seems like, based on his thread, this what happened. You, you could be like tipping the bad guys off, that someone's trying to track your scooter. But you could also be this lady and be getting tipped off that someone slipped an air tag into your bag because they're trying to stalk you. So this is sort of like they're mitigating control. I think a lot of her issue here is that iPhones do this by default. You need to have a third-party app for an Android. So imagine she's an Android user and someone slips an air tag into her bag unless she's running that Apple app. Apple app, unless she's got an iPhone, she's not going to know about it. Or, or unless she's running the Apple app, that's what I was going to say, Apple App on her Android. I'm just not sure that the, the Android thing fully stacks up anyway because what if there are other people, let's say she lives in an apartment, other people in the apartment that have an iPhone, she passes them. And again, like it's, this is not just an air-take thing. What if it is a tile and someone else has got the tile app? You've got the same problem. Um, she's very upset about this and I, I, I kind of see where she's she's coming from. There's a bit in here about Tile. Plus, I'm answering this a lot. Tile relies on crowd tracking or BT range, so does AirTag. But everyone's iPhone is part of the tracking network, so do the maths of probabilities. And yes, there are other ways to track people. I don't need to be schooled on that, trust me. Uh... It's still the same problem though isn't it because the tile network is so comprehensive you know you still get a good idea of where your tile is like that's what actually made tile good it's like so many people were using it the more people that used it the better it became let's just go to the comments <laughs> richard campbell says i put a tile on my old dog nice um, Someone here who's just a dash says, would any, but would anyone really do that? If the air tag was found, the police would likely be able to find out who bought the air tag. That's actually a reasonable point too. Well, there's, there's several things there. So first of all, there's a financial commitment, but then again, a, tiles, a tile or an air tag is cheap. What is it, 20 bucks or something like that? But then if it does actually tie back to an individual... I could imagine someone trying to talk their way out of it. It's like, oh, thank you. You found my tile. I knew I lost it in someone else's handbag at the nightclub. Oh, maybe you stole my tile. What about that? So, yeah. Apple says, uh, especially an extra, more concealed air tag. In similar ways, the concept of a honeypot with a more visible air tag. Um, Fritz says, Dutch e-bike maker Van Moof, great bikes, sell their bikes with the technology built in. I was having this discussion with Charlotte this morning over breakfast, and she mentioned that so what if it was built in the the only the only challenge i could see there is that if you know that a particular brand has it built in then i would imagine the first thing you would do is go okay i'm going to go to the chip or the radio or the (coughs) whatever it is which is emitting the signal and i'm just going to disable that before i take it home Uh, i think the nice thing about the air tags is you just never know if it's going to be there or not you never know where it's going to be Trent says, a tile air tag is arbitrary based on proximity. You do not necessarily know what it is attached to, but when they're close enough for a long time, you ought to be aware. It is an interesting one, isn't it? And we come back again to the same discussion with encryption, the same discussion with the CSAM hash matching, where we can use the technology to do good things, we can use it to do bad things. What I will say, in fact, I meant to say this on the CSAM bit, one of the one of the things that did upset me a little bit with the narrative there is that you tend to get people that have very strong views at either end of the scale representing those views very vocally. Let's take the CSAM thing. It is terrible. It will erode privacy. That sucks. And then you get the politicians at the other end of the scale. It's like, stop pedophilia at all costs. It's like, well, neither of those statements is really correct. And... My my feeling is, is that anyone who's making these arguments in absolute terms and not seeing the other side is really doing a little bit of a disservice to the whole debate because we're not seeing the thing in a rational, holistic way. I decry the number of people that replied to that threat of mine purely negatively and not at one point said, yeah, like it it would be good to reduce the distribution of CSAM material let's try and find ways to it or here is a better way of doing it so it's not people saying let's not do it this way that doesn't work very well here's something else that would actually be a really good solution it's like no we don't like this so we should throw it out because it is not perfect so i think these absolute discussions are really not healthy all right let me move on something totally different Not controversial at all. Turkish government on Have I Been Pwned. Mostly not controversial. So Turkish government is now the 26th government on Have I Been Pwned to have access to uh, all of their government domains via API for free. Their national cert is in there. They join a whole bunch of others, UK, Australia, US, the Netherlands, Jamaica. I really want to go and visit those guys. Never been to Jamaica or the Caribbean. I think that'd be cool. Almost completely non-controversial. I did get one person emailing me, not happy about uh, Turkey's um, Turkey's support for ISIS was his view of it. <sighs> I got similar feedback about Israel, not ISIS support, <laughs> sort of the, the the opposite direction. It was more Palestinian stuff when the Israeli government came on. That Look, the, the view I take with all this is that there's one... There's one easy way of looking at it to begin with, which is simply that uh, we have uh, export controls that are defined by our D- Department of Foreign Affairs and Travel in Australia. There are certain countries that we simply cannot do various things with, including provide IT services in some cases. Uh, Israel is not one of them. Turkey is not one of them. And, and if there was a country that matched that criteria, well, then like literally legally, I can't do that. The, the other part of it is, is that this is something that all countries have access to anyway, insofar as if you control a domain and you can demonstrate you control a domain, you can go and do a free search on have I been pwned right now. Yes, this does make it easier and it does give them support, primarily to try and help governments do their job better because for the most part they're there trying to keep us safe when we're talking about national certs. I'm just simply not in a position to get down into the nitty-gritty of do I agree with this government's politics or not? I mean, if we go back to the discussion before about uh, Russia and the gay pride icon on the watch or China taking very different views of of things like privacy and human rights, it is a very, very, very tricky geopolitical thing, which, which is really not my expertise. Okay, that said... Let's move on to something not controversial at all. (laughs) I just tweeted this this morning. Oh, boy, this upsets some people. Firefox 91 and HTTPS. I think this is fascinating. And then I'm going to talk about why I know HTTPS because it just, by coincidence, times in really well. Firefox 91 gets HTTPS default in private mode and enhanced cookie clearing in Windows single sign-on. Now, this is... uh, This is is quite interesting. I'm just going to find the the bit that I quoted here. Um, When users use a private window in Firefox, the connection to the requested domain will now default to HTTPS even if a user manually enters the HTTP protocol. An HTTPS first request will also be made if the user clicks on an HTTP link. So basically secure all the things. Now this, this is good, and all the arguments against it are wrong, and I'll explain why in a moment. Um, we're rapidly pushing forward towards an HTTPS by default web. Uh, so Chrome will have an option to, to force HTTPS and then show big warnings. I think it's Chrome, is it Chrome 92 that hits later next month? Chrome 94, I think, hits later next month, which will have that option. We are seeing increasingly obvious visual indicators, negative visual indicators for sites that are insecure. It started by seeing little warning signs if you had a password field or something on an insecure web page. It's gotten more overt over time. Uh, Firefox 91, I tweeted a link to what that looks like because I fired this up about an hour ago. It is a large interstitial page which says you're going to go to a page insecurely. Are you sure you really want to go? Then there's a button down there where you can go. So really, really, really important thing here. This is not breaking http it's not killing http you can still go to http insecurely the browser tells you you're about to go to http insecurely are you want to you know are you sure you want to do that when you think about them doing this in in private mode it it does seem to make sense insofar as people usually go into in private mode when they have a higher expectation of privacy Now, that might be because they don't want the tracking cookies from somewhere else following them. And that might be because they don't want it in their history. Uh, All of that is absolutely fine. I think it is a very reasonable assertion to say that people wanting that extra level of privacy would also like someone sitting in the middle of the connection, not to see where they're going. That seems quite reasonable. So I don't have a problem with this. The, The responses I saw earlier on today which is frankly kind of weird. Now, I won't name people individually, but there are a couple to, to, to this effect. You can look at the response to, to the tweet where they was like, I am in control of the browser. It is my decision as the user. I should issue all the commands and instruct the browser exactly what to do, and it should follow my commands. And if it doesn't, it sucks. And that's morally wrong. I don't know, ethically wrong, something wrong. Now, the the, the problem with this, and we've had this discussion so many times with other particularly HTTPS-related initiatives from the browser, is that how many people use a browser? How many billion is it? It's some number of billions. Let's just agree on that. Some number of billions of people use the browser. And Mozilla and Google and whoever else still makes a browser (laughs) all need to make decisions about how do we implement controls that work the best for the most people. Now, if I was to ask my parents and said, look, if you explicitly type in an HTTP address, do you expect it to be loaded over the insecure scheme or would you be upset if it upgraded to the secure scheme? I'm not going to get a very good reply because my parents are representative of the well over 90% of people that use a web browser, which is they enter a URL and they just expect it to work and that's it. And they don't think about anything more. They don't think about the plumbing behind it. So the browsers are helping people make the right decisions even if they don't have to think about it. Uh, If my parents do enter over the HTTP scheme this will fix that for them if they're in in private mode of course. As we move forward into Chrome 94 if you enable the feature to force secure browsing it will do the same thing. At some point in the future I have no doubt whatsoever that all browsers will do that by default whether you're in in private or incognito or, or whatever it'll do that by default and this is fine because we're defaulting to privacy. Now to be clear, as I mentioned before, you can still go to that website over HTTP if you really want to. Uh, in fact, I used an example of Dave Weiner's website. Google it, it's interesting. <laughs> which I tried to go to over HTTP. It does not support HTTPS at all. And uh, I was still able to do that. Now I appreciate there's a little bit of a gap here, which is what if, what if there is a website that supports HTTPS, but I really want to go there over HTTP? Well, you can uh, if you're not in, in private mode in Firefox, it will do that. If you're on a current version of Chrome, it will do that. There is a question then at some point in the future as browsers start to default more and more to HTTPS. What will happen then? I expect this will be toggleable. Now, I haven't even looked at Firefox in terms of the Firefox settings. I literally just pulled down and updated just today, but if I go into settings, I'm sure there's probably going to be something in HTTPS which is like, don't automatically force HTTPS. Uh, HTTPS only mode, here you go, HTTPS only mode, HTTPS provides a secure encrypted connection between Firefox and the websites you visit, most websites support HTTPS. You know who you are if you don't. And if HTTPS only mode is enabled, then Firefox will upgrade all connections to HTTPS. You can check the box that says don't enable HTTPS-only mode. So if for whatever reasons, be they philosophical or whatever other weird (laughs) reasons there are, you don't like this, then disable it. But understand that you are this tiny speck of a minority of people who would actually want to do that. It is an exceptional edge case, and you're probably wrong. (laughs) All right, let me have a look at the comments in here. Um, I'm going to move past the air tags just to keep us moving forward. <laughs> Stephen says, at what point will it be quicker, easier to list all the countries that aren't using HIBP?" Uh, congratulations, by the way. I would say after about another 75, assuming there's a couple of hundred odd countries around the world. Troy couldn't have picked any more controversial topics. Ah, oh, yes, I could have. Trust me, I could have, but I... I um I am a little bit selective. Bigpod says, someone asked me why I use Edge instead of Firefox. And I said that among other reasons, there are security problems like ID and homographs. <laughs> that, that is a very interesting edge case. And that's the difference between Firefox and uh, and Chrome as well. At least it was a little while ago, but I'm happy for Firefox against GPS default. But it should be outside a private window. I I suspect that it it will be everywhere in a while. And and again, Chrome 94 later next month, I believe, is the schedule for that. Uh, You can go and grab the Canary Build now if you want to see what it looks like. There is an option to enable the same thing, not just in Incognito, but all the time as well. Steven says, I guess the reason is to test secure for incognito before making it more default outside of it by reckon, it's only a matter of time. So I guess whether it's just the incognito bit or the in private, as I call it in Firefox bit here, or going into Chrome 94 and actually having a toggle, usually these things start to become available as options. Very often, Google does this a lot with Chrome, it will be drip-fed out to users of Chrome. In fact, I've had so many times in workshops where some people in the audience will have some behavior of chrome which other people won't because they are part unbeknownst to them they're part of the sample set which is effectively being a b tested (laughs) And, and they've got like the future feature just to see how they react and everyone else has something different so it will trickle out absolutely mike says since the tunisian government mitm attacks on its nation's facebook users has there been another example of a large scale hcp traffic interception uh just out of interest a good, good question. Um, Coinhive, <laughs> but that wasn't government. So, Coinhive, um, Coinhive was installed on a bunch of microtech routers, uh, which then injected Coinhive crypto miner JavaScript libraries into into browsers. Not government, though. Were you asking government? Yeah, you're asking government. Uh, it would be really interesting to look at the China piece. Actually, I can think of a couple of examples. There was. Um, uh, in India, I think it was Airtel in India, because the Pirate Bay was using Cloudflare, but they were only encrypting from the browser to the Cloudflare edge node and not from the edge node back to the origin. Uh, Airtel were able to, I'm pretty sure they were in, I'm just gonna Google this, pretty sure they were injecting something into the connection. Airtel, ah, um, oh, Pirate Bay. Pirate Bay Cloudflare. I'm sure this will give a result. Airtel is sniffing, sniffing and censoring Cloudflare's traffic. So this is 2016. So, Mike, I'm just going to drop that in the comments. Have a read of that. That's that's another one that came immediately to mind. I'm sure there are many others that I can't think of just immediately off the top of my head. Trend Apple says if an individual thinks it is their right, then maybe they can write their own browser or customize the defaults. And this is what I ended up saying to someone. I was like, this person was adamant that that they as the user should dictate the way the software writes. I'm like, no, that's not how software works. Someone creates a product and then you may use the product if you want to. If you don't want to, go and use someone else's. By the way, they're all going to do this over time. But short of there being configurability, which there is in Firefox, this is the way the thing works. Get over it. Stephen says, default secure means if you really don't want for whatever reason, you'll have to learn how to do it and maybe in the process realize why it's a bad idea not to use HTTPS. The, the, the gap that I can still see, less of a problem at the moment because most of us aren't traveling at all. But what, what happens to captive portals? You know when you join a Wi-Fi network and it wants to pop up a captive portal and say, hey, you need to like read all the terms and conditions of this hotel and agree to that before we will then allow your connection through to the internet. But then again, most of the time, when you when you do that, the the client will pop up a known HTTP address served by that manufacturer. So I imagine you could just put that on an allow list somewhere. And I really wish we had a better way of doing that because it's super sucky. Um, PomTom44, only case I can see you would want to do it is for old web interfaces on like network switches and stuff where they don't run HTTPS but you still need access to it. Well, again, this is where you can still fall back to HTTP. I mean, a really good example is if if I access, let's say I access one of my Shelleys here on the local network. Now, mind you, these are local IP addresses which which would usually be considered an exception. But if I had a host name mapped to one of my Shelly IOT devices on the local network, there is no certificate on that device. Uh, it is on my local network. I'm not too worried about that. But yes, I still need to be able to go there insecurely. But I don't mind an interstitial page saying you're going to go there insecurely. Are you sure? Yeah, fine. Okay, then go. <laughs> Richard says so there's 203 countries with the creation of South Sudan. No requests yet from South Sudan. That that I feel like that might be one where I have to go and look at that DFAT advisory <laughs> if they pop up. Burton says, there is so much hate with any changes to their control, but the decision is right. I think it's time to move on to HTTPS by default. Honestly, I just get to the point with people where I'm like, you don't like it? Too bad. It's happening anyway. So you're providing arguments, which I think for the most part are kind of inane. Multiple browsers are doing this independently. There was an argument there. For quite some time from from people on my i know mike and burton know who i'm talking about (laughs) certain certain people who argued that it was like a google conspiracy theory pushing https and now here we are like looking at firefox forcing it and and mozilla has done a lot of work in that direction for many years as well uh if you don't like it too bad like literally go and roll your own browser Trent says, you have to accept the warning, which is a pain for captive portals. It, it, it is just a once-off each time you join that portal, though. Um, Stephen says, piehole is a good example of local and needing HTTP. Of course, you could put a certificate on your local Pi-hole. Scott's written a lot about this in the past as well. Uh, oh, here we go. He <laughs> just said that a little bit further down. So, yes, Mike's referring to HTTPS naysayers as luddites. I once chimed into an anti-HTTPs thread and referred to them as flat earthers. And then I got a lot of messages from flat earthers, which was entertaining, don't get me wrong. But uh, wow, there's some crazies out there. If you're looking for something to keep you entertained during your lockdown periods or isolation within various parts of the world, go and watch Behind the Curve on Netflix about flat earthers. It's absolutely hilarious. It's fascinating. Okay, last thing that I'm going to talk about here is the last blog post from yesterday, why no HTTPS, the 2021 version. So this is a project that Scott and I have run for a few years where back in 2018 originally, we said, let's get a list together of all of the top 1 million websites that don't automatically redirect HTTP to HTTPS and we'll put them on a big shame list, which is why no HTTPS.com, and, and it'll be kind of interesting. And then we broke it down by country as well. So you can see like the largest ones in Australia or South Sudan or wherever that don't implement HTTPS by default. And to be clear, what we're talking about here is not whether or not you have a certificate on the site, but whether or not you're redirecting HTTP to HTTPS with ideally with a 301 or we, we will take a 302 or I think a 307, 308 as well. But uh, normally what you would do is you'd say 301 permanent redirect with a location header which then has an HTTPS address in it. Now this data comes from Scott's crawler. He does a nightly crawl of the top one million websites based on the Tranco list. Blog post here explains what that is. And he puts it in his big list. We updated it, I think it was like December 2019. And then just this week, I just felt like doing something completely different to all the other stuff so I thought I'd update it. So I pushed this out yesterday. And now we have a list here on whynohttps.com of the world's largest websites not doing HTTPS by default. Now, I guess what's, there's a couple of interesting things about this. I was going to say, let's start with the good bits. So the good bit is that each time we do this, the list on the front page of the top 1 million websites gets further and further and further down the order. So... To get 100 websites that are not redirecting to HTTPS, we need a sample size of the world's largest 1,803 websites. Now, before this, I think it was like the world's 1,500 or something like that. And then as we drill down, we get to different countries and then the different sites that don't redirect properly. Uh, Going and looking at the top 10, well, isn't this interesting? Everything is either China or the US all the way through to rednet.cn. So that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So the top 14 websites in the world that don't redirect to HTTPS are either US or Chinese. Now, stuff like Baidu. You know, Baidu is China's Google, as they refer to it. If you go there over HTTP, we'll stick there in HTTP. But it's China. <laughs> you know, like, we've discussed they have a different view to privacy, haven't we? Some of the US ones are really interesting, stuff like w3, W3 w3.org. If you go to w3.org, you're gonna see some, here's where it gets a little bit nuanced. Depends on how you go there. So I just went to w3.org in my web browser and I see a padlock. But if I open up a console and I do a curl to w3.org, I get a 301 moved permanently to HTTP colon forward slash forward slash www.w3.org and I get the content returned over the insecure scheme. Now I suspect what happens is that there's probably like a meta refresh tag or a JavaScript or something like that, which then redirects you after that. So part of the, the, the problem here, and I'm sure this is this is part of the, the, the feedback in the comments on the blog post, I'm yet to read all of them, is that different websites will behave differently to people from different parts of the world, different UA strings. It will also appear to behave differently in terms of redirects based on whether it's doing it with response headers or content in the body. If you're curling, you can have curl follow redirects, no problems at all, but that's gonna follow redirects where there are response headers with a location defined, which tells the client to go to somewhere else. It's not going to follow a meta tag or a JavaScript file or a JavaScript uh, redirect or something like that. So we get a bit of inconsistency here. Um, We also get a bit of inconsistency around things like what country a website belongs to. Now, sometimes it's clear. uh, If it's the Bureau of Meteorology in Australia, it, it is Australian. Now, we can tell that both from the TLD and we can also tell that by going to An API on Alexa, which we, I won't say we scrape, we grab some data from. An API on Alexa we grab some data from, which maps a domain to a country. Some of them are a little bit odd. I'm not sure, for example, that example.com is actually Indian. I don't know why Alexa says that, but also don't know where else it would be because it has a bit of an ambiguous TLD. It's It's not an American TLD, it's an international TLD, just putting it out there. So that could come from somewhere... Completely different. Now, I have sort of said to people, look, if you have corrections and please drop them in here, I see there's a few, but I am sure also that when I sit here and I go and I curl those same URLs, we're going to get this behavior, which is you get one thing in your part of the world and I get this other thing, which really justifies them being on the list, because if they can't consistently redirect HTTP to HTTPS, no matter where they are, then yeah, they deserve a place on the list. Okay, i going to have a look at some of the comments here because I can see a heap of them flying through here. Um, uh, what else we got? Wonder, <laughs> Steven says, I wonder if anti-HTTP are related to anti-vax. I'm pretty sure, yes, yes, many in many cases. Um, Lars says, what about the amazing live stream you did on home automation this week? All right, it's off topic, but we'll give Lars a plug as well. So Lars and I did a live stream on Monday, Uh, It's Friday morning, our time here. We did it Monday evening about IoT. And we both shared a a bunch of stuff on screen as well. Go and check that out in our respective Twitter threads. I thought it was fun. We should do that again, Lars. Trent says, search engines often lower your SEO ranking if you do not do a 301 from HTTP to HTTPS, but 302 is better than none. There there was a period particularly many years ago, must be like five to 10 years ago, where Google started saying, we're going to give your SEO a little bump if you have HTTPS. That was never entirely clear how much of a bump they gave you. And at the time it was like, is this just trying to drive people to HTTPS or are they just that little bit more confident that when they actually request content over HTTPS, they're getting the real content? Certainly not a bad thing, whichever way you look at it. Uh... Steven says, "Wonder what HIBP is ranked these days. It was in the single digit thousands. I think it was like six thousand or something like that." The Tranco list is available for everyone to download. Someone here says HTTPS on Baidu is probably same as HTTP I wonder, does Baidu actually have a certificate? Can you request it over HTTPS? Well, you know, here's an interesting question: How will? So yes, you can request it over HTTPS. How will? controversial. How will the Chinese government look at increasing efforts to default all traffic to HTTPS from Firefox and Chrome? Interesting. Interesting. BigPod says, just found a Slovenian website that uses a script to go to HTTPS. Yeah, and in fact, I, uh, I put an example in my blog post here where, was it Lush? Yeah, it's Lush that does this. So Lush.com Lush.com will return... HTTP two hundred for a request to the naked domain over the insecure scheme. And then the response body literally has script window.location. <laughs> Replace it with www over HTPS, Uh and then it's got some no script that says we this, this is not even a meta tag. So this is this is dependent on either running JavaScript or if you're not running JavaScript, then clicking on the link that's exposed in the no in the no script meta uh, the no script uh, html tag this is shitty like don't do this now incidentally as well there are a bunch of sites which have returned 403 now they return 403 over http and some people might say well that shouldn't put them on the list it's 403 but they're still returning a response over the insecure scheme and leaving you there And, and that's the problem they're not properly redirecting you to a page and then 403 and you over HTTPS. If they 403 over HTTPS, fine, you get to get off the list. Someone this morning on uh, Twitter said, look, W3, they said W3 is actually HSTS preloaded. And I went to the HSTS HSTS preload page and they weren't. And what's interesting is they seem to be, and we can check this on the fly here. If we go to W3... uh, And I just go to devtools, w3.org, network tab, reload the page. What have they got here? They have a strict transport security header with the preload keyword and include subdomains. But they've got two problems here. So one is that their max age looks like six months to me. I'm just basing this off the number of seconds. You've got to have at least one year if you want to preload. The other problem is, is they're not returning this response header from the naked domain name um only from the www which is really weird because w3 kind of feels like the sort of entity that should be able to get an open standard like this right i don't know odd thing odd thing what else is in here um Trid MS Edge and Dev screen showed 307 to HTTPS with an HSTS, which is good. Uh, 307 with an HSTS is uh, what we want. Uh, incidentally, as well, since we're just talking about browsers defaulting to HTTPS, w- w- we are now starting to head to the point where eventually this HSTS preload list will become irrelevant, other than the fact at the moment it will force you to stay at least in Chrome. If if you try and go to a website over HTTP uh and the and it is in the HSTS preload list you cannot do it at all over http so that's uh that's one little edge case where it's still valid but over time i don't think so uh lars got a plug Lars happy um <laughs> dash in username says what's the th- what's the cert authority on baidu huh? that, that is a really interesting question so, who issues the cert for Baidu? Over there in HTTPS, a certificate, uh, global sign. There you go. It is a global sign certificate. Um, yeah, so there you go. It's not some Chinese cert. Global sign is not Chinese, is it? And now he's deleted those comments. All right, well, we've got the answer, no. Mike, any thoughts on HTTP 3 coming along? So soon after two, off-piste. Uh, I, I need to spend more time reading about it. I do not know enough about that to give any any good insight whatsoever to that at the moment, mate. Off-topic, <laughs> what tennis racket do you use? First time I've found a head MPs. Uh, I've got a Babalat, uh, what is it? the yellow one? <laughs> Babalat Airblade. I can't remember. All I remember, I was looking at the other day going, well, this racket's now several years old. Um... And has gone through many many strings but maybe that's time i don't know if tennis has gotten any better in the last three years i think on that note we're getting uh off uh, off topic now there's a question here is hibp hsts preloaded what do you think all of my things are hsts preloaded right from day one on that note i'm gonna wrap it up here burton's asking about home uh home repair stuff i'll talk about that next week um we mostly done other than some of the stuff in here this will look different probably probably next month now i just need a bit of a break from frankly living in a construction zone thanks very much for watching uh, the extra controversial version this week and i'll come to you next week see you folks